Amen. Turn to James chapter 1. Recently, um, <clears throat> been doing a, a study on the book of James. There's um, so much in that little book. I think it's only like five chapters. And it's just got so much in it. And um, James chapter 1, there's a verse, uh, verse 19, just kind of um, it's coming up a lot in the last couple of weeks as I was studying, and it really challenged me. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And um, <clears throat> so my time of prayer in the last couple of weeks, I've been praying that I would be swift to hear and slow to speak. It's not one of my strengths. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to put that out there, that I am preaching to myself tonight <laughs> rather than just you guys. But as I'm praying and I, the last couple of weeks, I'd come home from work and reflect on the day and thinking about all the times I would say something um, and afterwards just be like, why did you say that? Just be quiet. Just keep your mouth shut. Um, it's as though like I haven't even I haven't even thought about it. It's just come out and then I'm gone. Oh, yeah. And so I was praying about this and I'm saying, Lord, how how do I be slow to speak because it's just not happening for me. And uh, he put this phrase in my mind on second thought. The meaning of the phrase on second thought that yes, that is the title of my message tonight um, is after thinking about something again. We often use this phrase when uh, we've changed our mind about a decision that we've just made. And an example might be you're at someone's house at night time and they say, um, you know, what do you want to drink? And you say, oh, can I please have a coffee? Oh, on second thought, I'll have a hot chocolate. It's the idea, uh, it's this idea that after giving it a little more time, you've decided on a different response. The first thought was coffee because I like the taste of coffee. But then you've had another thought and you go, oh, I really don't want to stay up all night because of the caffeine, so I'm going to go with a hot chocolate instead. It's a very simple example. The problem is, often, we don't wait for the second thought. We say, I want coffee. Oh, hold on, no, I want hot chocolate. We go straight into speaking. And then we have the second thought. So I've been praying about this idea of on second thought. And I've been asking the Lord to give me, give me the second thought. Help me to slow down, not just the speaking part, but the thought part. Help me to slow down to take that extra split second to decide whether something should come out of my mouth or not. Am I a pro yet? <laughs> no. Like Paul saying he's the chief of sinners, I am the chief of the first thought and not the second. Now, James speaks quite heavily about the tongue, the mouth. And uh, specifically in chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. And it has been of great help as I've been thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. And so I want to spend some time, I guess, teaching and just pulling apart these verses and trying to help us uh, glean some more understanding and help us to spend some time on what, what the things that we say and whether we should say them and whether we shouldn't and how do we go about that. And so titled my message is On Second Thought. So we turn to James chapter 3. Am I going to believe, uh, believe? We're going to start at verse 1. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, My brethren, be not many masters, 
knowing we sh- that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So this first verse begins by telling us something to be aware of or a warning. The word masters here means teacher or instructor. Those that feel they are called to teach should not jump in quickly to want to teach because those who teach are called to a higher standard. There is a great responsibility, and I'm feeling that tonight, (laughs) on those who teach on such things to live what they teach. We've got to walk the talk. It's quite a sobering thought. If we want to teach something to someone, we want to be trying to be good examples of what we're teaching. Now, does this mean that those who instruct must be perfect? No, thank goodness for that, because none of us would be up here teaching. It's impossible to be perfect. The next verse, James chapter 3, verse 2 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and also able, to, and able also to bridle the whole body. When it says we offend all, it doesn't mean that we're going to offend everyone. Um, the word all is actually better placed after the word we. It means we all offend and say things that hurt people at times. And the New Living, Trans, uh, New Living Translation says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. No one is perfect at everything. We all stumble and we make mistakes, and no one is exempt from that. And I want to, it's not in my notes, but I just want to put in here is that if someone does teach you something and maybe it comes across a little harsh, or a little strong, give them some grace. It's coming from a a good heart. It's coming from the right motive. When your pastors and your leaders, they teach you, it's coming from a good place. Because verse 1 speaks about teachers, does this mean that the rest of us are exempt from controlling ourselves? Again, no. We're all called in many passages in the Bible to be careful with our mouths. And I'd venture to say every single one of us will at some point be teaching someone else, whether by intention or by accident. People learn from others even just by watching. We don't even have to be intentionally teaching them. So this passage is to be applied to everyone because at all, at some point in your life, you will be teaching. Not just people specifically that stand behind a pulpit or teach Bible studies. One other thing to point out in this verse is The word perfect here does not mean someone without flaws. It means to be complete or to be of full age or mature. And as we grow and become mature Christians, there should be a direct correlation between that growth and the offenses that we cause. If we are more spiteful, more bitter, more abrasive with our words at the latter end of our Christian walk, then we need to reflect on and consider our hearts. We will never in this life be able to completely stop making mistakes. However, as we grow and learn, as we are instructed by teachers, then there should be a decrease in the misuse of our tongues if we are maturing. Verse 3 and 4 says, Behold, we put bits in in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great... And are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. James loves to use metaphors. He describes something in our everyday understanding that helps explain an idea. And the idea here is that the tongue is a very small member of your body. 
but it will control where you go. The bit in a horse's mouth, which is the part that goes in between their mouths there, is what is used to control the movement of the horse. You can hold the rein this way and it will go this way and you can hold the rein this way and it's going to go that way. Ships are massive vessels and I wanted to get a photo of a ship with a rudder but I couldn't find, it either had the rudder or the ship and I was like, I want both. It's like this, the, the rudder is like this tiny little, I would call it a flap, I don't know. It's a bit of metal at the, at the back of the ship, okay? And all it does is goes like this and that's how the ship moves. This massive, big, you know, ocean liner and this is this tiny little rudder at the back. And just with a, a small amount of pressure, it can steer an entire ship a different way. Now, our initial reaction to hearing about the tongue and how powerful it is and how destructive it can be might be to just say, I'm going to put a muzzle on it and just never talk again. I'm just going to take a vow of silence. But do horses stay tied up in barns because they're wild and unpredictable? Or do ships stay moored at the dock because we don't know where they'll go in the ocean? The question is, who's holding the reins of the horse and who is the captain of the ship? Who's the one at the wheel applying the pressure to the rudder? You see, we too often try to control it ourselves. But we all know from previous experience how that normally ends up. We are unable to control our tongue with our own power. It will control us. It's flesh. It's flesh. And we all know how powerful the flesh can be. However, if we allow Jesus to take the reins and to captain these human vessels, then he can help us control our tongue and in turn get us to where we need to go. One other thing to point out in this verse is this, that the idea of the horse and the bit is it's very... Uh, internally focused. It's about what the horse does and where the horse goes. It's, it's all about the horse. But when we look about, talk, talk about the ship in the ocean, there are outside forces that can influence the ultimate destination of that ship. There's wind, there's waves, there's storms, there's lightning, there's all these other things that can put pressure on the vessel to move in a different way. The captain may have to apply more pressure on the rudder so as to complete a, or, or complete a course correction every so often because, uh, but if he's in control of the rudder, he can still get the ship to its destination. Even when external forces and circumstances we have no control over suddenly come our way, we can still emerge intact and on course. Our tongue, oh, it may want to lash out. It may want to say the most hurtful thing. It may want to correct that person that was wrong or fight but if we continue to allow the Lord to steer the rudder, then we can emerge from the situation well without ruining our witness as Christians. Verse 5 and 6 says, Even so, the tongue is a little member. Little in the Greek meant puny. It's so, it's like it's tiny. And boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. 
give you an example, personal example. Sorry, I'm just going to take some water here. Of boasting great things. So in my previous workplace, I um, was very privileged to work in, with, with the executive. And so I, I learned a lot about um, things like strategic planning and business planning and visions and values and all that fluffy stuff. And uh, after learning a lot about it, I, I, uh, the guy that was kind of leading that part of the organisation left and I kept going, I can do this. They should let me do it. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And I was telling all these other people, you know, if they just put me in this role, I could do it. Well, I've got a new workplace now. And my new employer, he allows a lot of autonomy and challenges us to branch out and just go forth and do. And he wants me to get involved with strategy and business planning. And now I have the opportunity to show people what I can do. And I'm like, eh, maybe not. (laughs) It's easy to make big statements when you don't have to follow through. But when push comes to shove, we have to be ready to back up our claims. The verse also speaks of a little fire that kindles a great big thing. When we were kids, we loved making campfires. Whenever we got to our spot for the evening, um, you know, we'd help mum and dad do their bit. But my job was to go find the firewood. And I was just so excited about it. Not for the firewood, I just wanted to light the fire. And what you do, we should all know this, but I'm just going to give you a quick 10 steps to making a good fire is you'd get uh, big logs, big chunks of wood. You'd get little sticks and maybe even littler sticks. And if you're a cheat, you might get a bit of newspaper and some matches. And you'd build the fire with the small stuff first. The kindling is what we would call it. Now, why wouldn't you just chuck the logs on and then put the match in? The fire won't light. It needs something small first. The flame is only small. The log is big. So it needs something small. When the kindling lights up, sorry, I missed my other note here. Why I say that is what you initially say may only be small and it may not seem to you to be harmful. However, it only takes a small flame on a small piece of kindling to begin a fire. When the kindling lights up and is burning, then you put on the bigger pieces of wood and let it burn. But you've got to be careful because you might have gusts of wind I once was, had a fire in my backyard. I think um, Sister Cassandra was there and we had a little wood uh, thing and the flames just, we had to quickly put it out because there was these gusts of wind that came and there was all these embers flying and it was not good. So you've got to be careful of that. Or embers that will float and, and burn a fire elsewhere, spot fires. Or sticks that fall out of the fire but are still lit. These are all things that can very quickly affect the control of the fire. And it can become a wildfire in no time at all. And then there's no control. It's very hard to get control of a wildfire. What may seem like a harmless remark, a comment, can very quickly become a raging inferno in your life. Many of us can think of times in our lives where we've been somewhere or done something or acted out and gone, how did I get here? How how did I get here? And often when you look way back in the beginning, it began with a thought. Pastor's been talking about what we think. Then a few words. And then it led to actions, which then potentially became a habit that became unbreakable. Fire can become very destructive. 
and the effects of a bushfire can be seen for many years after. Our words, the effect of what we can say, can be felt many years later. You've probably heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What an absolute load of rubbish. I don't know who thought that one up, but sticks and stones, yet they may physically affect you for a little while and you might have scars, but words hurt deep. They're not superficial wounds. (laughs) That's not a little scratch. That's deep. And their effect can sometimes be invisible to the untrained eye, but the hurt remains. Words have a profound impact on our lives. And that's why we must be so careful what we sow into our children. What do they hear us say to them, about them, about others? You may not be a teacher standing behind a pulpit, but you stand behind an invisible pulpit in your home every day, teaching your children by what you say. It's quite a sobering thought. I thought about, you know, when Joshua was with me, what do I what do I say to him? What do I say about him? What is he hearing? Because even though he's only 18 months old, he, can, he hears. He understands. Verse 6 says that the tongue can defile the whole body. This is speaking primarily about your own body and how it can impact what you feel and what you get yourself involved in. You have to be very, very careful. But it has a secondary meaning. Our tongue... What we say, how we speak, can and will impact the rest of this body, the church. What we speak to one another has an impact on how we see one another, how we see our leaders, how we see others, how we see ourselves. We must be so careful to encourage and lift one another up rather than tear down or discourage Psalm 15 begins with a question. I think it was read this morning. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who is it that can go into that place? He that walks uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. If we want to be able to dwell in his presence with his people, we must refuse to gossip or harm our brothers or sisters or to speak evil of others. The tongue is a fire of iniquity. Psalm 64, David describes the tongue as a sword and the words that it speaks as arrows aiming at harming others. Psalm 52 says it devises mischief. And it's like a sharp razor and its words devour. Psalm 5 speaks of the throat where the noise of our words come from as an open sepulcher or an open tomb, rotting flesh inside. It's quite a graphic thing to think about, right? Someone once said, it is though all the wickedness in the world were wrapped up in that little piece of flesh. Verse 7 and 8 of James 3 says, For every kind of beasts and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. What a crazy thought, that we can tame a tiger, or a bear, but no one can tame this. 
what I want to point out here is that humans can tame wild animals, but we are unable to tame ourselves. Again, we have to remember that having control over our tongue does not come from our own power or ability. It is not in human strength to be able to control what comes out of our mouths on our own. We need God to help us. Verse 9 and 10 says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. The word similitude means resemblance. How can I bless God but curse those who are made in his image? And I was thinking about this tonight as we were worshipping and I was like, wow, my words can bless God. What you say can magnify him, can please him just by what you say. I just, it overwhelmed me tonight thinking that when I say hallelujah with the right attitude, (laughs) that it's blessing God. Our tongue can be used for the highest calling to bless God. But it can also be used for the lowest evil, to curse. In the mouths of Christians, it should not be said that out of our mouths both blessing and cursing proceed. However, we can see from the Bible that Peter, one minute confessed that Jesus was the son of the living God and then denied Jesus with cursing. John said, love one another, but was also the one who wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. History shows us that we are human and we do have flaws and we do struggle with our mouths, but we must strive to make sure our mouths speak blessing and not cursing. Let it not be said that at church we speak one way and then on the job or at school we speak a totally different way. Our talk here should match up with our talk out there. Verse 11 and 12 says, Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So here's another metaphor. It's a visual of a fountain. The fountain of our mouths is not like a sink where you can turn the hot water off and just have cold water or turn the cold water off and just have hot water. A fountain has one source. If you mix in bitter water with sweet, it will no longer be sweet. It may water down the bitter a bit, but it will still impact the water. And when people take a sip, they will know it's no longer fresh. The question is, what do people get to drink when they drink from my fountain? Is what I present to those around me fresh? Is it blessing? Does it bring forth life? Or does it slowly erode the goodness away and only leave people thirsty and unsatisfied? Does it confuse them to hear me speak one way but then to undermine that by speaking another way? The next question to ask is, what fountains am I drinking from? You can't always choose what words you hear. Um, You know, you're at the workplace or at school. You can't always, I mean, you can walk around with, um, earplugs and I think a lot of people do these days <laughs> but you can you can choose which people you hang around with and the people that you drink from are they encouraging are they uplifting now that doesn't mean that if your friend has a bad day 
and they're just frustrated and angry and they need a vent for a moment that you totally disregard the person. We all have bad days, right? Or am I the only one, right? Yeah, okay. But if you are constantly around people that uh, tear down or are negative, you, it's going to affect you. It will affect you. I know, that, I know that from experience. So many people here would know that by experience. Do their words make you want to be a better Christian when you come away thinking, wow, I feel encouraged. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fill in the blank of spiritual discipline. (laughs) Or do their words make you more negative? Do you find yourself kind of getting caught up in the conversation and, and agreeing with their tearing down of people? We need to be very careful the people that we hang around with and the fountains that we drink from. My garden, I haven't spoken about my garden for a while. (laughs) It is full of a variety of fruit trees. When I first moved in, the real estate agent um, gave me a rundown of what each of the trees were. Apple, pear, nectarine, apricot, uh, lime, lemon, orange. There's like a whole range but it's been a long time, and as much as I'd like to think of myself as an avid gardener, I don't have the time. And so without the tender care that these fruit trees need, not much fruit ever comes from them. Or if it does, the birds take it before I can even get to it. Now, I can't remember what the real estate agent told me, and often these trees don't sprout fruit. So I'm not 100% sure which one is apple and which one is pear, because actually they're very similar trees. Or which one's lime and which one's lemon. They kind of look similar. Until they grow some fruit. For a while, we can fool people with how we act. We can look the part and even talk the part for a while. But you see, that's all leaves and branches. If you spend enough time around people, their fruit begins to sprout. And this is when you know whether their source is fresh water or salt water. We might let something come out of our mouths sometimes then even we are somewhat shocked about. And we say something like, where did that come from? As if it was something someone else said or like someone took over our body and forced us to say it. But I hate to break it to you. It came from you. It's always from inside of us. Matthew 12 verse 33 and 34 says, either make the tree good and his fruit will be good or else the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know where your heart is at, then spend a moment listening to the words that you speak. A good indicator of the current health of your spiritual heart is to consider what is spoken from our mouths. When we ignore the second thought and something bursts forth from our mouths, we must be willing to reflect and consider the source of those words and to ask the Lord to reveal what it is that's going on inside of our hearts that need to be dealt with. I went through the Bible a while ago um, and found as many scriptures as I could on uh, speaking and the tongue and I wrote them down on paper. I currently have seven pages full of scripture about the power of the tongue. Um, And that's not an exhaustive list because as I was studying for this, I was like, oh, I don't have that one. And that's a good one. And many, if not all of these scriptures about the tongue 
also reference the heart. It's like they're intertwined, they're connected and will influence one another. So I want to spend the rest of this time sharing some of them with you before I close um, because I'd like to share some of the things we should say or shouldn't say and how we go about that. And this list in nowhere will cover every situation. But the word of God is so rich. It is full of treasure waiting for us to find, to seek and to study. And I would encourage you, if there is a situation you're facing that I don't give you a scripture for tonight, seek the answer in the word of God. I am always wowed. I don't know why, but I am by the Lord. When I study his word, it's like I'm constantly thinking, I didn't know that was there. That's a good one. I've got to write that down and use that. The word of God is there for us. It's how we are meant to survive this world. It is how we're meant to learn. Use the word. Anyway, so that was a side thought. So firstly, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, the second part of it, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We must get a hold of the fact that we cannot do anything without him. And these last few weeks as I've been praying, Lord, help me to be quick to hear and slow to speak. I've realized how much he really does help me. Which sound, again, sounds silly, but there are times where I've, I've been at work and it's like he's given me the second thought. And I've gone, hmm. okay, just keep typing. And I've gone, wow, it actually worked. <laughs> I often think, how can I be better? How can I make myself more Christian? And there isn't much that I can do on my own. I'm learning that it's my daily surrender to the Lord and my submitting to his will and to his spirit each day that really does the work. Psalm 141 verse 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. I love this one. It's a good one to pray. If you can involve the Lord right from the beginning of your day, you will see a marked difference in the words that you speak. Set a watch means to be a guard. Watch how I'm behaving. If you think I'm going to say something that's not pleasing in your sight, be the guard. Stop it from coming out. Stand there. Keep the door of my lips. Don't let that door open unless it's words of blessing. So, what do you say when you've been insulted? It's one of the situations. Proverbs 12:16 says, A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. And this verse can be a little hard to understand in King James English, but what it's pretty much saying is that when you're insulted, stay calm, don't bite back. A foolish man will quickly try to answer, try to fix the situation, try, no, 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 I didn't do it, I didn't do it, no, 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 that's not me. But sometimes it's just best to ignore the insult. That's what the Amplified Version says, is just ignore it. Don't even, don't even try to speak back. Just be quiet. What about when you're faced with someone who's arguing or you can feel anger is starting to kind of whirl up in the situation, there's tension. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And this one is a tough one. When we're faced with someone who's angry, often they'll say things that are not entirely true, or they're fueled by emotion rather than logic, or they speak hurt, 
And our immediate fleshly reaction is to fight back. But I'm learning that success is not in winning the fight. It's in winning the person. It's being able to get to the end of the situation and still have a healthy relationship with that person. This verse encourages us not to fight, not to stir up more anger with our words or try to poke the bear. It's to actually be gentle, to prefer the other person over our own justification. What if you're faced with someone who gossips? Proverbs 26, verse 20 and 21 says, Where no wood is, there the fire goes out. So where there is no talebearer, the tri- strife ceases. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. When faced with someone who wants to stir up strife or negativity or wants to gossip, remove the fuel. We spoke earlier about how the, tie, t- the tongue can create a wildfire. Well, if you remove the fuel, the wood, the kindling, the items that can burn, the fire will die out. Every night after we um, had had our hot chocolate instead of coffee, we would take all of the, at our campfire, we would take all of the big logs out. You know, we wouldn't um, douse it in water or anything, but we would just take those logs out and it would die down and we would go to bed safe because we knew that nothing was going to happen to it. There was nothing, there was no fuel. When someone comes to you to stir up trouble, you do not have to stay there and be a part of that situation. In fact, I would say it's wise to remove yourself from that situation. And if the situation permits, kindly say you don't want to be involved in this kind of conversation. When someone who wants to gossip or wants to tear down others finds someone that is willing to listen, it's like they have found more wood for the fire. Don't be the wood. Don't allow yourself to add fuel to the fire. What about when someone has shared confidential information with you? These are very basic things, but it's the word of God. We all love to know things about people, right? It's just like this thing that when we have a secret, when we know something, we feel like we're more powerful or more important. Proverbs 26:22 says, "The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly." And Proverbs 17:27 says, "He that has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit." In the church, people share their issues with one another, and this needs to be a place of safety where people feel they can share their feelings and to find encouragement when they're down and struggling. If someone has shared confidential information with us, it is not for us to go around and share it with others. In church, there is a fine line between needing to know and wanting to know information. And sometimes, you know, we have some information. We can preface this knowledge that we have by saying, I'm only telling you so you can pray about it. As if this justifies us sharing the information. If that person found out that what they had shared with us in confidence had been spoken of to someone else, the trust would be broken and that person would no longer feel safe to share their struggles. Now, let me clarify one thing here though. If someone comes to talk to me about something, I will often preface the conversation with by letting them know or asking them, have you spoken to pastor? Pastor is the one that people need to be speaking to. If you have a struggle, pastor is a great one to talk to or his wife 
or Pastor Gavin, our leaders. He's ultimately the one that should know and is equipped to deal with the struggle. However, if someone does share, share it with me, I will also say that if it's something that concerns me, then I may share it with my pastor. But if it is not something that needs to be divulged to anyone else, then it is best to keep it to ourselves and not share with other people. If someone wants to pray about it, then they can. They don't need specifics. The Lord knows the situation and if he wants to tell them what specifically they need to pray about, he'll give them the words. What about when you're given the opportunity to offend someone or speak hurt? Proverbs 18.19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. This verse always gets me. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. The next time you have the opportunity to offend or cause a wound, remember this verse. We read at the beginning that we all offend at one point or another. But let us strive to not offend. Just because we have a weakness and struggle with it doesn't mean that we should give in to the struggle. Proverbs 26 verse 18 and 19 says, As a madman who casts firebrands, arrows and death, so is the man that deceives his neighbor and says, Am not I in sport? When we become familiar with those around us, we can become free with our words and we can get flippant and end up hurting those we speak with. And it's not out of uh, malice or hatred. It's just you become familiar with people. But when our words fall flat, we've realized, ooh, I've gone too far. We say in King James English, am not I in sport? In current day English, you'd say, I was only joking. That's what the NLT version says. But you see, often our joking has some element of truth to it. Does that mean we can't enjoy a joke amongst friends? No, but we must be mindful of others and how our words make them feel, whether we meant it or not. What about when you're given the opportunity to be offended on the opposite end? Proverbs 17 and 9 says, He that covers a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. It would be great if when we are offended, we could stay offended and make the person pay for the hurt they've caused and tell everybody else about it. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't let us get off that easy, I'm sorry to say. This verse in the Amplified Version says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. But he who repeats or gossips about a matter separates intimate friends. This verse goes with the verses we read before about keeping a matter private and not sharing it with others. But it also challenges us to cover and forgive offences. Why? Because then we're seeking love, not retribution or vengeance. But it is in those moments when we are hurt by an offence and we choose to forgive that we are portraying what Jesus did for us. Jesus died on the cross in pain and agony and chose to forgive me. So I must do the same. That means we forgive and we refuse to repeat it and throw it back in the person's face every so often or tell someone else about it. Now, I could continue all night, um, but I won't (laughs) for your sakes. There are so many verses in the Bible that we could go through. But I hope those have helped you with some of the situations you may have faced or will face in the future because I'm sure you will. 
I encourage you to find time in your day to speak with the Lord and to ask him to help you to be quick to hear and slow to speak. To give us that second thought moment when we can analyse our unspoken words and look at them and go, is this worth saying? Make wise choices about whether we speak them or not. Who has the reins? Who has the power to steer your ship? Is it God or is it your flesh? May he set a watch before our mouths and keep the door of our lips. God bless you.